our focus this Lord's Day will be verses 17 and 18. Uh, we will read our text in its context of chapter 16, verses 15 through 24. And then we will ask the Lord to teach us. First <clears throat> Corinthians 16, beginning at verse 15. Now I urge you, brethren, you know the household of Stephanus, that they were the first fruits of Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves for ministry to the saints. And you also, being in subjection to such men, and to everyone who helps in the work and the labors. I rejoice over the coming of Stephanus and Fortunaeus and Archaeus, because they have supplied what was lacking on your part. For they have refreshed my spirit, and yours, therefore, acknowledge such men. The churches of Asia greet you, Aquila and Prisca, greet you heartily in the Lord with the church that is in their house. All the brethren greet you, greet one another with a holy kiss. The greeting is in my own hand, Paul. If anyone does not love the Lord, he is to be accursed. Maranatha, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. Father, let us hear the words of our brother Paul so many years ago to a church that is in the same situations that we find ourselves in this day. Father, give us ears to hear and eyes to see, and may our hearts be open to the amazement of your faithfulness, your mercy, your grace, and your power to overcome even in our society. We love you. Father, may our love grow with every breath you grace us till that day our faith becomes sight to your glory, to your praise in Christ and Christ alone. Amen. I have a question. When was the last time you received a love letter? I know some of you like me. I'm still waiting for my first one. Okay. And, and if we're honest, most of the time what happens is there's a lot of love letters before the marriage. And then there's crickets. <laughs> and the statement is usually made, well, I wouldn't have married you if I didn't love you. I would say and I would argue that love letters are special and I believe that they are special to everybody. I don't care how macho you seem to think you are, you take great joy in receiving a love letter. But one of the things that I have learned about love letters, as a pastor, I receive love letters on a semi-regular basis. But what I've learned about love letters is that they fall into three categories. They can either be an individual category or they'll have a blending of the three categories. A love letter can come and it'll be very affirming. That is one category. Or a love letter may come and it may come questioning. Or you may get a love letter that is critical. And yet they are all classified as love letters. And they may be a blending of the three. Okay? But they are all love letters. However you cut it. All right. 
See, that is love. Love affirms, but love will question. And sometimes when the need arises, love will rebuke, will be critical. And I don't believe that there's any of us in this room who is foolish enough to think they only need one kind of love letter. And not all of them. There are times that love will question us. There's time that love will be critical to us. There's time that love will be affirming to us. All of us who have spent time studying the book in this letter to the Corinthians understand the dimensions of love. And this letter, at first reading of it, comes off as cold, hard, or harsh, uh, rebuking. But, if you're truly honest with looking at the heart of the Apostle Paul, the more you understand that man, then the more you'll see the love that is in this letter. Um, you know, I, I was thinking about this, and, and, and I think about our children. There are times when we affirm our children. Okay, There are times when we question our children. But there are other times when we will just flat out rebuke them. And yet it is all done because of love, right? Whether it's affirming or questioning or rebuking or a blending of the three, all of these manifest love. Because that's how love is. See, love seeks the best for the object, for the person. And when you read this letter, you can understand that Paul is seeking the best for the church in Corinth. It just so happens that they needed a lot of rebuking, a little bit of questioning, and hardly any affirming. Let's be realistic. If you read the letter to the Corinthians, both letters, you find a mess. And, and it's hard to affirm a mess. It is hard to affirm a Christian whose life is completely chaotic and in rebellion against God. It is kind of tough to, to, ref, to affirm that. But yet this letter concludes with what? Affirming love. The affirming love of the Apostle Paul. And basically, he brackets it between 14 and 24. Let all that you do be done in love, and my love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. And yet, if you read through this letter, just on a cursory reading, the whole contents of the letter, you would have to say that Paul was a little bit on the perturbed side dealing with these people. And I bet you, if I went through this group individually and asked you, have you ever had Christians who just make you want to pull your hair out? Most of us would say one or two dozen. Because there are occasionally those Christians that you just sit there and go, what in the world? Right? I mean, if you go back to the letter to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, you look there what we are supposed to do. We are to admonish the unruly. 
We are to strengthen the faint-hearted. We are to encourage the weak. And that's all of us. Which means you're going to have weak and faint-hearted and unruly in the church. You're going to have them there. But if we truly look at what love is, and you take the, the 13th chapter, which I believe is the crescendo to the letter. Here, this is love. And then he concludes it with, do everything in love, and by the way, my love be with you. And then he's, he frames that so you can see what the love of the fellowship, the love in the fellowship looks like. You could probably ask a whole bunch of Christians today what is love in the fellowship looks like, and they would not hit these eight points that I've got in your outline. Because most of the love you see that is today in the body of Christ is based on self. It's based on self. If you love me, this is how you will what? Treat me. Behave around me. All right? And yet, that's not love. If you want to look at the underlying problem that existed in the body of Christ in the church in Corinth, it is selfishness. It's one of the things that I I just have a hard time with. And, And people would say, well, when you deal with it, you don't seem like you're dealing with it in love. Listen, if I'm dealing with it, then it is love causing me to deal with it. Because if I didn't love you, I wouldn't point out your self-centeredness. And that doesn't matter whether it's one of my children or one of the congregation. I don't care who it is. Christ didn't die on your behalf so you could be self-absorbed. And if you want to be used in the body of Christ, the first thing you've got to get rid of is you. And you know what? That will be your constant battle until the day that you see him face to face. Because you is a constant companion. And it always likes to remind you that he's there. I'm here. You forgot about me again. And it doesn't go away. And I don't care who you are. If you tell me that you've got that one conquered, you're either dead or deceived. And some of you, I don't know. <laughs> Just, maybe you are. You know, I'm Keith Richards. I think he died like 22 years ago and nobody told him. It's, it's a long story. If you don't know who I'm talking about, you're blessed among people. What does love in the fellowship of the body of Christ look like? And I've, we've started moving through this. And he uses a family, a household here, a Stephanus as proof of love. First, it's evangelistic. Why? How can you love if you do not see the desperate condition of lost people? I mean, you've already heard me talk about evangelism before. Listen, the only thing that I can do better here on earth than I can in the presence of God in heaven is what? Reach the lost. Everything else I can do better in His presence. It's tough to reach the lost in heaven. It just is. It's very difficult. So the only thing that I can do better here than in heaven is evangelize. And we were left here for what reason? 
to reach the lost. Well, which one? All of them. All of them. It doesn't say get them saved. You give them the message. The outcome is God's. You give them the message by word and by deed. By word and by deed. Why? Because the love of Christ should compel you. If you are in the body of Christ, you are indwelt by the person of Christ. Therefore, the love of God has been poured into your hearts. And that should be the most compelling uh, motive in your life. There should be nothing else that even comes close to that motivation. Nothing. So it's evangelism. Because out of evangelism will birth this household that you will find the word devoted themselves is literally the word we get addicted. To what? Service. Service. I become a ministry junkie. I want to serve the saints. And I showed you what serving the saints means. I'm addicted to this. And it, it comes from giving the word. It comes from giving financially. It comes from being a part of the body of Christ to encourage one another. It's service. It's service to the saints. And that should be our primary responsibility is to the saints. We should have an overwhelming desire to meet the needs of our brothers and sisters. And that can be physical needs and it can be spiritual needs. But it should be an addiction to us. Because once you step into that line, then you will learn, verse 16, submission. Submission. All right? Submission says, I see these individuals who are way more godly than me, and I want to come underneath their ministry. And it literally, his next phrase says, they become hyper, hyper addicted hyper-addictive. And it says there, you need to do this. Come into subjection this hyper-addiction to such men. Such men as who? Stephanus and his household. And to everyone who helps in the work. Why? Because you will always have someone who is more godly than you are and there will always be somebody watching you who wants to be as godly as you are. And you should be striving to improve and you should be watching people fall in line behind you striving to follow. And we should find these people and we should get addicted to what they're doing. Look at what they're doing. Look at how they're doing it. I need to be a part of this. And it should be an overwhelming focus. And that's what Paul has given to us here. Why? Because this is what love in the fellowship looks like. And that's amazing stuff, isn't it? It should wear us out. We should look and say, hey, and you know these people. You've seen them. You've been exposed to them. And yet there's sometimes, well, they, I think they're just taking it too far. Okay, that ain't what the Apostle Paul's saying. You know what? Paul literally threw his life away for the service of Jesus Christ. However you cut it. I mean, you know what, if I went into a city and somebody stoned me and threw me out on a pile of manure for preaching the gospel, all of a sudden I woke up and thought, oh, I'm feeling great. You know what my response is? Fire and brimstone. 
I'm not even going to kick the dust off my feet. <laughs> Let's post toasty this place. But he went back in and preached. And you know what? It had an effect. There was a young man there. Had a Jewish mother and a Greek father. And that kid looked at that man and he says, that guy's addicted. He's addicted. And later you know him as Timothy. Which brings us to chapter 16, verses 17 and first part of 18. I rejoice over the coming of Stephanus and Fortunaeus and Archaeus um, because they have supplied what has been lacking on your part. You know what? That statement right there is, is enough said about these guys. Stephanus' household was the first fruits of Achaia. It's obvious that the whole household had converted to Jesus Christ and had come under the um, influence of the Spirit of the living God. Uh, the whole household seen the change. And they were in awe. And yet when they all came to salvation, they didn't all just sit there and become pew warmers. They got into it. They got addicted to what the Lord was doing and they wanted to be a part of it. I mean, you look at love, you think about love, and you say, you know what? People wanted to be around these guys. You know what? It's a, it's a strange phrase here. It says, they have refreshed my spirit. Okay? The love of Christ had so invaded their lives that their very presence did what? Yeah, that question's coming. Does your presence refresh anybody? Now, listen, I'm not thinking these three guys are given deep theological understanding to the Apostle Paul. He spent three years in the desert studying with Christ. I'm thinking that they don't really have a lot that they're going to impute on a theological understanding to the Apostle Paul. He remember Paul is the guy who said, you know what, I don't know whether it's in the Spirit or out of the Spirit, but it went into heaven. What are you going to do to explain to Paul? He said, I've seen things up there I can't even talk about. So I'm thinking that this isn't a theological mentoring session going on. I'm thinking that the presence of these people did what? Not only did they refresh the Apostle Paul, the church in Corinth was refreshed when they were around. I mean, because he even says here, they supplied what you're lacking. And I'm thinking, and I look at this church and what we've looked at, it'd be tough to be around some of these Christians in this church in Corinth and say that they are refreshing. I mean, you know, one of these people has his father's wife. I'm thinking that that's not real refreshing for Paul. When they would have their potlucks, everybody would get drunk, hammered out of their gourds. Yeah, I'm refreshed. They shamed Christ when they partook of the table and they were even perverting spiritual gifts and using them to show off. That would be refreshing. 
Paul says, I love you and I wanted to be with you. I wanted to come to you. I wanted to come and see you. But right now I couldn't. But they came and they filled what was lacking. He wanted a presence of the church in Corinth. He wanted to see the people of the church in Corinth. He couldn't at this time. And they had he had some Corinthians come to him and their very presence refreshed Paul. They brought you to me and they refresh me just like they refresh you. Hmm. Here's three guys that are just refreshing Christians. See, whether in Corinth, with the church, or with Paul, wherever they were, they were refreshing. You know what I call this, and it's in your outline there. I call this companionship. Hanging together that is refreshing. Have you ever been around some Christians? You feel like you're always walking on eggs? I know you guys have never run into those kinds. Um, I've run into a few of them in my life that you just, you're afraid to say anything. You're afraid to, gee, many crickets, it's going to become some deep theological debate or something. Okay, or, you know, well, I have a question for you. <laughs> Why do I look like Mr. Answer Man? You got a Bible? Uh-huh, read it. You know, but I got people that cross my life and they, I, I have one for you. What is it, you think I'm Bible trivia? You know, well, what would you do if such and such as goose killed such and such as duck and then what would you do? I don't know. Pray for Thanksgiving. Okay? Where there's love in the fellowship, there's going to be a refreshing companionship. Listen, let me explain something to you. Many, many years ago, almost 20 years ago, I guess, maybe it's a little longer than that, I don't remember exactly. I started attending church anytime the door was open. Okay? Didn't matter what was going on at the church. Well, either, you know, if there was a women's Bible study, I probably wouldn't be there. But um, it didn't matter what was going on in the church. I was there. I didn't care whether it was a work day. I didn't care whether it was, you know, a Wednesday night, a Sunday night, or when it went. You know, we we used to have a group that would do these twenty-four hour prayer things. And for some reason, I got stuck between ten and three at night. Okay, and I, I don't understand that. That's I didn't have the spiritual gift of darkness. Um, but, you know, I always got stuck with that time slot in there. I think the reason was is they snuck around and told everybody else, you want to sign up for one hour of prayer? And, and then I was the last one. I said, all we got is between 10 and 3. You're like, great. <laughs> but one of the reasons that I came to church was I understood that this is family. Now, it's a little different. Some of you have family in town, around town. Okay? All of my family is... Well, the bulk of it is on the other side of the Mississippi. All right. But I knew that the body of Christ was family. All right. And it is refreshing to be around family. Listen, you look at your families and you've got some, shall we call, colorful figures in your families. Most of you have colorful nuances to your gene pool. Right? Well, you know what? 
I can look at this group right here and say, I've got some colorful gene pool going on here. And I know you guys are all looking at me saying, yes, so do we. (laughs) But we do, but we're still family. And you know what's nice about having these colorful people in your family? You know them and they know you. And yet the love of family overwhelms all of that, doesn't it? You know, I used to have an Uncle Carl. And every time you run into Uncle Carl, he wanted to show you where he had been shot or stabbed. Or, or a new one. Look, I got a new one. Look at this. Great, Carl. Maybe you should try to duck. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> maybe run faster. Or maybe, hey, don't walk in that place. Or I don't know how life works for you. Uh, or, you know, he would always, and, and I had another uncle, and, and then, you know, he always had a new wife. And then, and I, and I mean, I, gee, many crickets, you just couldn't keep track. Uh, and it just, you know, well, there you go. Um, you should hang out with Carl. He'll get you stabbed. But, uh, <laughs> but you knew him. And they were fun. I remember them taking cherry bombs. I don't know if you guys know what cherry bombs are. And they would have these great family reunions. And they'd roll as many of these things up this guy's. He had an old 55 Chevy. Nice, nice Chevy. And he'd roll them up the, and it, it, the tailpipe. And then it goes over the axle. And once it gets over the axle, it ain't blowing out. Well, it is, but it's not coming out that end. And, and they would just load this guy's tailpipe up. And sure enough, he'd take off to leave the family reunion. And all of a sudden, you'd hear this, Kawam! And new tailpipe. But that was sort of my relatives. I know you guys don't have any yahoos like that in your families. But, um, you know, if they still made cherry bombs, I would be trying it with this family. Well, I would. I think it's kind of fun. But you know what? There's a, a familiarness with family. You know, and I think one of the assets that I have and have been truly blessed is that I've been in this church so long that we know each other. We know our weak side. We know our strong sides. And, and you know what? We come along and we help each other walk through the thick and thin uh, and, the, and the ugly. And we just keep plugging along. That is one of the reasons I come to church. Why? Church is refreshing. Church is encouraging. We are all here. It's us. It's our family. We have some Bible studies. Uh, We have people. You know what? We have some people who attend this church just for fellowship. Um, We have some evening Bible studies here that we have people who are not a part of this church who come because of the fellowship of the saints and the proclaiming of the scriptures. A lot of churches in Castle Rock right now don't have Sunday nights or Wednesday nights. And we do. And we have people who come on Sunday nights and Wednesday nights who are not plugged into a fellowship. They may have a church they attend on Sunday morning or Saturday night, but they want fellowship of the saints through the week. Because it's a war out there. And you know what? We should be refreshing to each other. We aren't always. You know what? There are some in the body of Christ who just want to complain. And I mean, that's just what they do. And they are wearisome. 
But you don't look at them and say, God, you are wearing me out. But, but there are people in the body of Christ that that's all they do. They want to complain. Well, you, 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 you didn't wear a suit jacket or you, why didn't you do this? You know, I remember uh, some people who came through and I was sitting here on one, I don't know if it was a Sunday night or a Wednesday night. It might have been a Wednesday night Bible study. I had a tank top on and short pants and flip-flops. And, you know, they had a visited and, well, who are you? I'm the pastor. Well, how can you dress like that? Well, you want me naked? What? You know, like, well, I just can't believe you're the pastor dressed like that. Sorry. <laughs> you know, what do you expect? But I've had people who complain, well, you had a shirt and tie on, you rolled up your sleeves, you didn't have a jacket on. Is that a sign of holiness? I don't know what that is. Why? And, but you get people who will do that. Well, you, you, you know, you had women wearing pants. Not me, man. <laughs> I look stupid in a skirt. Man, I got Scottish blood. I ain't wearing one. <laughs> you can't. Uh-uh. Do you see what I'm trying to get at? But you get people. And you got people who want to debate all the time. Oh, well, you believe in this and you believe in that. You know, I had people who left here when I was teaching on spiritual gifts who walked out of here and have gone to other places who he doesn't believe in spiritual gifts. And I said that 15 messages on spiritual gifts and every message I started with, I believe in spiritual gifts. Well, we don't believe he believes in spiritual gifts. That's what I was saying. I, that is silly. That is silly. But that's what people do. Okay, now let me tell you something. Nothing personal. Then people are just not that refreshing. This word refreshing. Listen, the Apostle Paul was burdened by the church in Corinth. Did you understand that? I mean, just an average. If you just read 1 Corinthians through one time, you would say this church, <laughs> burden, was a boat anchor around the neck of Paul. <laughs> Lord, why in the world would you have ever started to work there? Okay. But this word refreshing here that these three men did for Paul is the same word that was used by Jesus when he said, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And it's the same word that you have translated here, refreshing. You will be refreshed if you come unto me. Paul said, these three guys showed up, and guess what? They refreshed my spirit. They refreshed my spirit. They, they came and they put Paul at ease. They took the edge off. Listen, I, I, you know how this is. If you get something positive and something negative in a half hour's time, which do you dwell on the most? The negative. Okay, if God puts you in a trial, a fiery test, and gives you a blessing at the same time, which one do you dwell on? And yet, he says there are times you will have people who will come and say, look, this we will praise the Lord. I have run into people in the body of Christ who my you just look at him and you think, my Lord, that's it? 
Yeah, you might want to check out. Because everything is this cataclysmic, catastrophic event. And I'm sitting there going, no, it's not. It's not. It is a testing of your faith for the glory of the Lord that He will be exalted in the outcome in your life. That's not hard. Just their presence comforted and encouraged the Apostle Paul. They made him feel at ease. He was burdened. I mean, let's be really realistic. No church that the Apostle Paul founded had more chapters written than the Corinthians. And let's be realistic. There wasn't a lot of affirming going on. A lot of rebuking. Some questioning, what are you thinking? He was burdened, he was concerned, and they came and their very presence refreshed him, encouraged him, put him at ease. See, what that tells us, what tells me, all the trouble... All the anxiety in Corinth, all the pain, all the problem, this huge mess calling itself the body of Christ, they had some positive things to say. People like that are refreshing. It is easy to get tied up in the nasties and the heartaches and the pain and the suffering. And yet God has blessed you and I with our the, these people who are around us right now. And we can sit around and we can think, well, such and such didn't come. Or such and such haven't seen them. And, and I haven't seen this person in this long. And I can't believe this person's doing this. And I get this person left and they're all mad at everybody. And you know what? What about the people who are here and are fighting the good fight, staying the course? When you meet with the assembly of believers, do you meet with them with an idea of refreshing them? See, listen, and I'm going to say this as loving as I can, which means it's not going to be very loving. Well, you've been warned. There's more to life than your problems. Maybe the reason you're miserable is that you never stop and bother with which person here can refresh your spirit or who can you refresh? You've heard the statement, misery loves company and if you don't believe me, stick around for a minute. Listen, I smile and I listen to people and we go through stuff. You know what? Everybody in here is going through something. I guarantee it. And you know what? Some of it, I am tickled to death that you and not me. But you know what? I am convinced of emphatically right now and nothing on the planet earth in creation will change my understanding of this. God is still on the throne and God is still at work. And I don't care how miserable you are. Sorry. But perhaps the reason you are in your misery is because you're not refreshing. 
You are not offering rest. You are not offering encouragement. You are not offering the ease of which we exist as brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. We need to refresh each other. I mean, we sit around, think about this for a second. I was pondering this. We sit around and we take prayer requests. Okay? And you know what? The bulk of prayer requests is what I would call pouring out anxiety. Okay? How many people say, I want you to praise God for this event in my life? When we ask for prayer requests, it's because Aunt Mabel's bunions are hurting or, you know, Uncle Bob's cancer's flared up or whatever. And you know what? Listen, I don't want to get on a wrong track here. There's nothing wrong with interceding on the behalf of the saints, please. And some of that includes a negative. But I'd ask you a simple question. How many times have you ever asked somebody to pray for a positive thing? Just a question. And I mean, don't get me wrong, I had to soul search myself on that one. It's easy to throw up, help this person, this person's in misery, and this person needs to be in misery, and, and, and a few other odds and ends like that. But the truth of the matter is, I mean, our most positive thing is I'm still praying for such and such a salvation. It's been like 15 years. That's positive. What about the souls that got saved? Oh, I'm praying for such and such. They just haven't been in church in almost six months. I can't believe it. Well, what about praising the people and thanking God for those who've been faithful to the fellowship day in and day out? You know what? You start praising God for what he's doing and you'll walk out of your misery. And I don't care what your misery is. It's easy to be depressed. But we need to be refreshing to each other. Okay? In Proverbs chapter 25, verse 13, like the cold of snow in the time of harvest is the faithful messenger to those who send him, for he refreshes the soul for his masters. That's an interesting picture, isn't it? Have you ever stepped out in that crisp, cold snow first thing in the morning? That first one of the year. I mean, when you you see your breath and you just step into it and boom, you're awake and aware. Aren't you? I mean, your senses are keen to what's going on. And he says, you know what? Someone who refreshes the soul is someone bringing the good news of Jesus Christ. And it's like stepping into the Arctic blast. It wakes you up, doesn't it? Instead of walking around, I'm going to go to work and try to get the car started. Buddy, you walk out there and have to scrape the junk off your window in the morning and you forgot where your gloves are and all the rest of that stuff. You know. <laughs> Dude, you are awake. <laughs> I know. That's not exactly refreshing, Terry. But that's what the writer of Proverbs is telling us. Proverbs 25, 25 says this, Like cold water to the weary soul, so is the good news from a distant land. 
take a deep drink when you're cold, when you're just hot and you're parched and you're worn out, and all of a sudden you get a glass, a great big jug or whatever of ice cold water. It is like, wow, that was overdue. But you know what? We have a problem. We like to, you know, somebody's all weary and all sweaty. Here, have a glass of dirt. You feel refreshed? Why? You know, I'm miserable too, dude. And we wonder why Christians are walking around like this. Why? Because there's not a lot of Stephanuses around. See, good news. Where there's love in the fellowship, there'll be a tremendous exchange of good news. Like walking in the crisp snow. It just wakes us. We look and we say, you know what? God is on the throne. God is doing great and mighty things that we do not understand or hadn't even imagined. You know, I had a person, I had a discussion. I was talking about, he said, well, do you believe in miracles? I said, absolutely. Well, do you, I mean, do you believe that, you know, God is doing miracles? Well, I said, Absolutely. And he says, well, you know, I've seen this guy. He had one leg shorter than the other, and he had a back head and neck ache and all that other stuff. And God healed him. I said, you're missing miracles. And he said, what? I said, a miracle is when God intervenes into something and there's absolutely no understanding of how it happened, why it happened, or how is it even possible. Oh, these are miracles. I said, dude, you missed it. Greatest miracle that man has ever seen on the planet Earth is to take blind, naked, depraved individuals and make them holy as Jesus Christ. That is a miracle. And there is no explanation other than divine intervention that gives you that. Brothers and sisters, that should refresh your soul. That should make you want to jump up and act charismatic. Or something. It refreshes us. The good news refreshes us. And and, thanks, I needed that. See, part of the life of the church is what? Companionship. You have this companionship. Why? It should be enough that we, your very presence encourages. I see this a lot in Scripture. A lot more than what I thought I was going to. Chapter 7 of 2 Corinthians verse 6 says, But God who comforts the depressed comforted us. Do you get this? Listen to this. God who comforts the depressed. Chapter 7 verse 6. 2 Corinthians. Comforted us. How? By the coming of Titus. Now listen, the context of this was they had been run out of Ephesus in a riot. And the whole church was dispersed and nobody knew where anybody was. They didn't even know if there was any survivors. And all of a sudden, Titus had been one of them there and he shows up and says, oh yeah, we're fine. (laughs) Why? Because we were depressed. We were overwhelmed with grief. And all of a sudden, Titus shows up. Chapter 7, verse 13. For this reason, we have been comforted. And besides our comfort, we rejoice even more for the joy of Titus because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. Why did Titus come and refresh Paul? Because he had been with the saints and they had refreshed him. 
they had given him rest. See, you refreshed Titus and Titus came and refreshed me. It's contagious. See, Paul was a man who loved companionship. It was very, very important to the Apostle Paul. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 9 through 11, understanding that 2 Timothy is Paul's last letter. He's in the Mamertine prison preparing to have his head removed. He knows that he's run the race, he's fought the fight, he's kept the faith, and he knows that there is a crown of righteousness laid up for him and all who heard him preaching. And he is handing it off to young Timothy. But here's an amazing thing. He's in a mammoth prison. He knows he's getting ready to die. He knows that his quote-unquote ministry is done. His service to the Lord Jesus Christ in this mortal vessel is nearing its end. And here's what he says. Make every effort to come to me soon. Ball, you're in prison. (laughs) Make every effort to come to me soon. Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescent has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Pick up Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me in service. Titicus I have sent to Ephesus. See, he surrounded his with people. He wanted people around him. He wanted companionship around him. Why? Because their presence would bring him at ease. His presence made his, their presence made his burden easier. You see how that's disjointed in the body of Christ today? We just kind of come, sit, go through it, see you, bye. And then, you know, if we want to really be spiritual, we'll have a prayer chain. Paul is at the end of his life, and you know what? He wanted people around. He literally had thrown his life away for the gospel, and now he wants the refreshing fellowship, and one of those people was Timothy. Refresh me, Timothy. See, Paul was refreshed by Timothy. Paul was refreshed by Titus. Paul was refreshed by Stephanus and Fontanaeus. Their presence brought an ease to the spirit of the Apostle Paul. And listen, the Apostle Paul had his daily concerns for the church. He was in trouble in the country. He had his countrymen wanted him dead. He had the Gentiles who wanted him dead. Everywhere he went, his life was in jeopardy. His daily concern for the church, he was beaten with rods. He was shipwrecked and cast into the sea. And yet he had these men who would just show up and just bring an ease to the burden that he was bearing. Do you understand that? You people at times have refreshed me and you never say a word. It isn't like I need to get into a deep theological dissertation on dispensationalism or, you know, trichotomous dispensationalism. I don't need to understand that. Your presence brings an ease to my burden. I know what this is. But my question is, do you know what it is? And then you flip that coin and say, does my presence refresh the saints of God? See, the Apostle Paul knew what it was to have companionship. 
And I'm not talking about this manufacturer stuff. Well, we're going to have a small study group on Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays, and we're going to meet in Bob's house and Frank's house and da-da, and we're going to move around, and we're all going to get to love each other. Okay? You ain't going to do it. All right, some of you are just tough to love. But you know what? When you have the companionship that is there, and we are there involved, and we are family, I don't have to manufacture it. Why? We just walk together. I don't have to walk around and tell you, today we will spend time being companions. Well, how ridiculous is that? Well, you need to do more together. Well, what does that mean? Okay, what if you're going to go play Pinochle? I don't even like Pinochle. I'm thinking that's not going to refresh me. See, that's the kind of stuff that you and I have to pay attention to. Why? If the love is in the fellowship, then you don't manufacture it. You just show up and are a part of it. To be refreshed, the companionship of those friends. Um, my, uh, most of you, some of you remember Ed Young. Uh, I had known Ed Young before my salvation. Um, and Ed Young was um, best man at my wedding. Uh, and a couple of years ago, he's... Faith became sight. And, um, you know, you, you, I'd spent years. I, I knew Ed when I first moved to Colorado in 79. Okay, he's one of the first people I met and sort of hung out, hung out with. And um, after he was gone, I did not realize how much companionship I had with him. And sometimes it was just call each other. I mean, I bet that either I called him or he called me every day. And it was, you know, we... We weren't getting into great theological dispensations or anything like that. It was just, hey, how you doing? Nothing. Did you see such and such or such? You know, whatever. Uh, and it's like I said, we had a lot of friends from both sides of the cross. And, you know, such and such died. Did you know that? Or whatever. Okay. But then I realized how much his companionship really meant to me after he's gone. Okay. And yet, me and Ed didn't set out. Let's be companions. Because the truth of the matter is, we were the odd couple. He's from Michigan, I'm from Ohio. And if you don't know nothing about football, that don't work. It just don't work. You can't, you can't push that through anything. So when it came to sports, we, he was a Bronco fan, I was a Bronco fan, and we kind of left it at that. <laughs> we don't want to push the companionship too far. Okay, especially when Ohio State would beat Michigan. I said, did you see that game? <laughs> Companionship. But I always did that on a cordless phone. Okay? Listen, you, you don't go out and plan this. It is because of the love and the fellowship. It is there. It is already there. Now then, if you're not refreshing then you believe that your problems are so powerful and so massive that nobody cares and I need to share it with you all the time. And part of your misery is the fact that you're not refreshing. Because if you're focused on self, it is hard to draw ease from a person who is self-centered. Okay? Okay? Where there's love in the fellowship, we will refresh each other. We will be in submission. We will be serving each other with an addictive attitude. 
And we will be reaching the lost because the loss is looking for all of those things right now. And it's all done in the love of the body of Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for our, my brother Paul and Stephanus and Fontaneus and Timothy and Titus and all of these amazing men who have cut the path before us. May we walk in a manner worthy of this calling. And Father, may we rejoice that you've given us the body, these people, these precious souls, to draw ease from, to draw rest from, to be refreshed by their very presence. Help us, Lord. Help us to see the amazing, wondrous, beautiful things that you do in a moment-by-moment basis. And Father, as we rejoice in our awesome God, may we take that joy and refresh those you bring to our lives. To your glory, to your praise, in Christ, in Christ alone. Amen.